Hello and welcome to South Asia Chat. This is a podcast hosted by the Institute of South Asian Studies in the National University of Singapore. I am your host today. I am Amitendu Palit, a senior research fellow at the Institute, and I am delighted to be hosting this podcast today with a very distinguished guest. Our guest today is Dr. Bonali Bhandari. Dr. Bhandari is a senior research fellow at the National Council for Applied Economic Research, in short, NCAER India, a prominent economic and policy research think tank based in New Delhi. Dr. Bhandari has had extensive experience in working on India's agriculture and a number of associated policies, most notably the very serious aspects and consequential aspects of distribution of food grains through the public welfare distribution system in India. Dr. Bhandari, we have the great pleasure of hosting you today and most welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Palit, for inviting me to this very interesting podcast show, and I look forward to our conversation. Thank you, Dr. Bhandari. Uh, let me uh, reflect on what we aim to discuss today, and this is a subject which is uh, preoccupying the minds and attentions of not just uh, policymakers across the world or the region that we belong to, which is the South Asian part of the world, but it is also beginning to rather significantly affect people in all parts of the world, including in South Asia, because South Asia is home to the largest number of poor and low-income people in the world, and that is the concern over food security. So, Dr. Bhandari, if I can uh, jump into this conversation by asking the first question, and this is that the world economy is struggling to manage the rise in food prices. Food inflation has become severe in practically all countries of the world. High food prices are one of the major drivers of uh, global inflation. And uh, in this regard, India is not an exception. India is struggling to keep food prices in check. Do you feel that India's policies for managing food prices are adequate? It's a very interesting question, a uh, very large question, a very broad question, I must say. Um, in a simple, uh, summarized uh, form, I think my answer is yes, it is. But the devil is in the details. While overall food inflation shows signs of trending down in India, decomposition shows quite differing trends. So just to start the conversation, uh, just to give you a sense of the numbers, Available data that is still August 2022 shows that food inflation has moderated in the last two months. It still remains quite elevated, um, above 6%, uh, but still the trending, there has a trending down has begun. So after, uh, just to give a sense to our audience, after averaging around 2.2% in the October to December quarter of 2021, retail food inflation jumped to 6.3% in January to March 2022, and then to 8% in April to June quarter of 2022. And for the two months of data that are available, July to August, it has averaged at 7.2%. So that's my first point. 
while overall inflation is, is elevated, but it is trending down, at least initial trends show trending down. Then my second point is that, but that's not enough. We need to look at the decomposition of food items. When we look at the decomposition, we, when we look at, say, with various composition within food inflation, we find that cereals inflation has steadily gone up, which is rice, wheat, pulses. Um, we find that, um, uh, and it, is, uh, it has gone up from deflation. At some point, it was negative inflation in September 21 to 9.6% in uh, August 22. Other items which show inflation are milk, fruits, vegetables, spices, and prepared food inflation. Uh, vegetables inflation in India is in double digits, since, especially since March 2022. And just to give you a sense of the numbers, in August, it was 13.2%. And in, in India, what makes it complicated is there are spatial differences within across states and also across rural versus urban spaces. A third point about in India, about the food inflation in India, is that it shows persistence. Bhattacharya and Sen Gupta have analyzed data and they show that there has been a steady increase in the persistence of food inflation across the period since 1990. So in India, I wanted to set the flavor with the numbers. And then I want to say is uh, management of food inflation is, is a very active thing. Um, and it is both a seasonal and a structural issue. Seasonal because uh, of the rainfall patterns. We know that monsoon is India. It's between June and September, which affects agricultural growth. And then we have two seasons, Kharif and Rabi. And then there is a structural issue of, of uh, structural reasons uh, being given uh, that we suffer from uh, being an emerging country. Um, so while, uh, so the actively, what the government has been doing for the last couple of years now, that the, for actively management in the short run, actively managing prices has been carried out through trade policies, which means is that either they will allow you exports or they will allow not allow exports or imports. They would use exports and imports to manage uh, food prices. Nothing, nothing uh, surprising here. Almost all the countries around the world do that. Uh, but there have been a host of agricultural policies um, which will build up uh, agricultural capacity. And notably here, cereals inflation is high and it is one of the major reasons for food inflation going up in India or staying elevated. But the important thing is the vegetables. And vegetables have a, a short growing period and they are very much affected by rainfall, especially unseasonal rainfalls. So that makes it a very challenging exercise to meet with. And that's why we need um, a strong warehousing policy where or we can build up warehousing to the last mile so that farmers and um, we can store our fruits and vegetables, our perishable items, are this thing. There's a famous statistic. I don't know where the number comes from, but people quote that 40% uh, of Indian vegetables um, uh, food gets wasted because we have uh, we don't have enough infrastructure to store our food. So it's very unlike what you consider with, uh, with Singapore. A third thing the government has done in the short run is continuation of food subsidies. Uh, along with the normal PDS. So as late as uh, 28 September 22, the government is providing 5 kilo of free food grains to millions of poor covered under the National Food Security Act. So the people are getting the normal food rations. Along with that, 
uh, they are getting a free five kilo of free rice so that uh, that helps them to actually manage uh, at least any inflation phase from cereals but uh, of course um, vegetables inflation which is another like potato onion tomato we call it the pot we can call it a top tomato onion potato these vegetables together do affect uh, the budgets and for where for which there is actually not in much protection so the government is actively managing food inflation seems to be that there is some uh, impact of trending down um, trending down but um, is it uh, and it's helping them mitigate for the poor but uh, we can see that there are differences within commodities and given the current rainfall again in October, unseasonal rainfall, we don't know what's going to happen to uh, vegetable prices again. So that remains a continuous challenge. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Bhandari. I think that's, an, uh, that's a very detailed and uh, contextual explanation that you've provided. And I'm particularly struck by the fact that uh, you drew attention to the amount of wastage uh, that is a challenge for India's agricultural sector. And this is uh, all the more, I think, a matter of priority because over the years, as we have seen, the consumption patterns of uh, people have changed very, very significantly and they have shifted uh, more from cereals to non-cereals with vegetables becoming an important part of the food basket of the middle class and even the lower income classes. So it's indeed uh, a pity that uh, there is uh, still this much of wastage in vegetables and as you mentioned uh, very rightly much of it is actually a storage issue so that part of the infrastructure needs to be lifted and brought to a point where the wastage can be minimized but i also want to uh, just push you a little further on another point that you mentioned uh, in course of your submission uh, you know you you alluded to the point of uh, the exchange between countries of food products and what we see, and we, we know this for sure uh, when we look at the uh, comparative advantages and the production patterns of countries, that not every country can be self-sufficient in all kinds of food products that are required by its population. And to that extent, the logic of making goods cross borders freely and come to the consumption requirements of populations of other countries become important. Now, one of the things that we are noticing is that global food prices and access of countries to food is uh, becoming more and more uh, tighter because of the restrictions that are being placed by countries on food exports. I mean, there are restrictions that have been imposed by India. We have also seen other countries like, for example, in Southeast Asia, Indonesia was in the news for having restricted the exports of palm oil. Now, uh, one does understand that countries are very much concerned about the first priority being their domestic populations and to that extent uh, these items uh, becoming more easily available for domestic consumption. But uh, do you really at this point in time, uh, given the way the supply conditions are around the world, do, do you expect this trend to continue, particularly from an Indian perspective? Do you expect more trade restrictions to come? I think yes. Global food prices that they rose it was a combination of factors that drove it. We know that the Ukraine-Russia war affected the wheat supplies with and coupled with crop failures around the world, which led to rise in food prices. And then, um, the, then the com, com, domestic individual countries then reacted by putting restrictions on food exports. 
um, to contain, to cater to their domestic population. Uh, and we expect the same thing to happen for rice. Just for example, uh, the area zone for rice in India is 20% lower than that of last year. It's still not lower to compare to normal uh, sowing area, but it's definitely lower than last year. So I think given till the war is going on, I think we are in for volatile times and that's the reality. And um, given that uh, this, these volatile, given the volatile times, I think the first priority of every country will be to protect their own citizens. I think that's a given. I think what should change here is, and as we, this is a standard thing for any public versus private good debate. When we see that there is a private um, gain, here the gain is the country itself, but there's a public good failure, I think we will need multilateral institutions to step in and work together to ensure that there is global uh, prosperity. Prosperity. Of course, India has also been signing trade agree uh, agreements with individual nations to ensure that um, people don't um, suffer. Uh, so th that work is also there. But I think the most important thing for us to understand is that the role of multilateral institutions are very important. So as a very interesting anecdote, uh, Bangladesh uh, imports a lot of onions from India. Um, but um, what we find is that um, because of this constant uh, change in policy, Bangladesh is now decided to become more uh, independent. Uh, ultimately, it hurts the Indian farmers because they're potentially losing an export market, right? So that's why you need to think in a more, um, in a more sensible manner. There's a private good and there's a global good. And I think we need to think in terms of a global good uh, where I think India can be one of the many significant players to make sure, ensure um, that um, the globe, the world does not suffer because of uh, these uh, coming this volatile uh, reasons. Um, I think, uh, but for now, I think the priority will be that every like each individual on its own, they will uh, each country will. Um, uh, if you think in a game theoretic framework, each country will try to protect its own citizen. Uh, which also means that they are, they are not thinking of the trade-offs. That means if if country X is uh, protecting itself then it might suffer from you know from some other commodity lack of some other commodity um, but uh, that's then they work out individual agreements between each other but if you think about globally you need multilateral institutions to step in and that's something to think about uh, it's something of a rerun of our histor history right in the 60s or 70s uh, and that's what we need to think about as we go forward one of the points I think which uh, all of us uh, are really, uh, you know, beginning to become seriously worried about is that uh, it's not just a country like India or other developing countries, but even developed countries, uh, and you alluded to the role that multilateral initiatives need to play. Uh, there's this uh, huge struggle that is going on with the uh, management of extreme weather events. And uh, India, along with several other countries, uh, is beginning to experience much higher frequency of these extreme weather events. Uh, the number of uh, cyclones, uh, and you and I both belong to the eastern coast of India, and we have seen uh, the high frequency with which these uh, episodic cyclones have been breaking into uh, the mainland, uh, the coastal mainland of uh, India, uh, leading to major crop failures. There's also the parallel occurrence of droughts because of 
very erratic rainfalls and the uh, inevitable outcome of all these are uh, an impact on the production cycle, the crop cultivation cycle and harvest failures and the concomitant rise in agricultural prices. Now, this of course is a situation which to some extent uh, makes policy making a bit helpless because uh, it's not really possible to predict and safeguard against uh, extreme weather events in totality. But even then, accepting the fact that these are really uh, what, why, what we might define as heterogeneous events uh, leading to serious uh, consequences for agricultural production and prices. Uh, any kind of specific policies that you might uh, think of or suggest which could be useful? Given the uncertainty of events, um, just to make it interesting, um, I was asked once in a conference that do Indian farmers know about global warming? And my answer was they, may, they maybe do not know about global warming like the way economists or scientists know it, but they definitely know about their rainfall what has happened to the rainfall patterns, they definitely know about that. And how do they adjust and adapt to that is a larger question. The question is, is I think, is we have to think in short term, long term and medium term. Um, medium term. And uh, the answer is, is that yes, India already, I'm talking in per se in India, but that could uh, equally apply to other countries. It applies to India a slew of policies. India has a slew of policies in place which can help it to adapt to the vagaries of climate change. But I think that's not going to be enough. It helps you to adapt or adjust. But how do you plan and mitigate? It helps you to mitigate. But it, how do you actually plan for it in the future is a different kind of question. And given the, that the farmers in, in emerging and developing countries tend to be uh, very poor, the average size of an Indian farm is only uh, two hectares or less than that. Most of them are small marginal farmers in India. How do they actually um, innovate so that they are protected from the vagaries of climate change is a question that we need to think about. So the question is very uh, different. And let me take the tough one first. How do you plan ahead? Well, uh, do we have a game plan for that? I think this whole debate on global warming, greenhouse gas emissions have to be integrated with this agriculture policy. We need our research and development into various kinds of seeds, mechanization, uh, even water management, irrigation, which will help the farmers to actually plan uh, with the different type of uh, cycles. That's one set of policies. In the short run, um, at least for India, I know that uh, that there is a many set of policies. The one is, of course, doubling farmers' income. And I think in the short, in this medium run anyway, I think the emphasis on improving the productivity, agricultural productivity in India and for that matter in other countries is absolutely critical. There is absolutely no way about it. Irrigation has to be done because water management is a very critical thing. Ultimately, you see the Punjab and Haryana, the northern states, which are the bread baskets of India, they don't suffer because they actually have irrigation facilities. How do we ensure irrigation facilities and others? The government of India actually has a very proactive policy, especially on micro irrigation with its collaboration with Israel and others. 
to introduce micro irrigation facilities which ensures that you have scarce water but you still uh, have uh, provide water to your plants the second thing the government has the, the government of india has done is irrigation government of india also has policies on farm mechanization but we need to definitely india is one of the lowest mechanized countries uh, lower on the rural side anyway india needs to do much more to uh, mechanize its farms again it's not that india does um, the third thing that india uh, india already actually has is an agriculture insurance policy some we what we what we call is a pradhan mantri fasal bima yojana that has been introduced at the central level to in that in case of crop failures farmers will get the insurance but and some of the central state governments as you know agriculture is both a central and a state subject in india at the state level uh, farmers are actually also adapting to um, the states are giving some of the states are giving assurance schemes to farmers plus in india the the at the central level farmers are given something called an income support scheme um, which is called the pm kisan which has also helps to uh, helps to farmers to um, to manage uh, if uh, any if there any uh, cash flow crunch so the, but you will say okay fine you have a lot of policies but then what are you doing about it the question really here is that we do have a lot of policies but what we need is an integration coherence way of going forward not of course we need to improve our policy implementation at the last mile that always remains a challenge we need to improve our access of of the policies of farmers like farm mechanization i recently worked on farm mechanization and we realized that farms that while the government has making policies available but farmers still find it difficult to access um even rent out machines because our rent, renting out itself is so expensive um or buying it ex is expensive and you need upfront credit policies so financial policies insurance policies credit policies access to actual uh, subsidies need to work together for the farmer to help them to adapt to short run phenomena and definitely we need to have a 50 year game plan to think ahead of what uh, the environment is going to look like and what are the challenges we're going to have and along with that innovate invention and innovation is the only way out for countries like india and other emerging and developing countries but i think the indian given the indian strength in r&d a uh, relatively comparative strengths in r&d and others i think indian lessons and given uh, i think also given the diversity in india especially with agro ag so many agro zones india can actually hold lessons for other countries both africa and southeast asia and south asia and not only that it can also help other learn um, innovate and which can impart those lessons to other countries like you mentioned about the east coast innovations in 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 the eastern area could actually can help uh, on the eastern countries in the south asian side similarly uh, other countries in in southern or western areas can help other um, close by districts bodali thank you for that uh, very very detailed understanding that you provided us in fact uh, i i actually wanted to touch upon uh, uh, one of the uh, subjects that you raised the role of technologies uh, in this regard but let me just uh, package it into a specific focus which i wanted to draw out of you and this is with respect to uh, the area of your intensive work which is the public distribution system in india now on the public distribution system in india i have uh, two specific questions to check with you uh, the first is that we have already discussed high food prices and to what extent do you think that 
high food prices are a concern for delivery of food to poor people through the PDS because as we know uh, the government public procurement system is that of the government buying food grains uh, and then uh, putting them through the PDS uh, to consumers, uh, the poor, poor consumers at subsidized rates. To, to what extent are the high food prices going to be a problem in, in the running of the system in this regard? And secondly, uh, can there be a role of new technologies, particularly the AI-based applications? in better delivery of food at controlled prices to the PDS beneficiaries. So we'll be grateful to have your insights on these two points. Thank you again for these very detailed questions. I think the I'll take the first one. I'll answer the first one about um, high food prices and uh, the PDS system. But I think to just look at high food prices would be uh, would miss the point because you also suffer from very high malnutrition rates so given that we have high malnutrition problems but our pds policy is very much focused on cereals and if you remember again i spoke about that cereals inflation is eight percent but vegetables inflation has been in double digits for the last five months and that's vegetables and fruits um, vegetables inflation actually plays a lot of uh, havoc with our food uh, prices and of course it's important for nutrition so you have to think about how do we address these both of them together and here i think we could possibly think about reforming the pds in such a way public distribution system in such a way and these are just ideas uh, that um, that yes the central government continues to provide rations but the state governments can complement that by um, by uh, you know providing uh, food uh, in um, uh, subsidies or food in terms of vegetables to uh, to the B BPL population. States already run their PDS schemes instead of providing additional grains and coarse cereals and um, you know, vegetables and fruits uh, could also uh, providing them through that could also mitigate help mitigate food inflation, also improve diversity and diet um, diversity in diets, and also uh, address uh, malnutrition rates. So I think we need to think in a holistic fashion uh, about addressing our food needs. Uh, it's not that other other states are not doing this. Also, I know it's like Tripura is a small state in the eastern part of India, is actually was providing uh, mustard oil and pulses to some of its um, to some of its uh, to to its uh, to its beneficiaries so states are doing that i think we just need to think about in a more comprehensive manner but dietary uh, diversification in dietary needs is quite important and so and our procurement will also change in response to that if our procurement changes in response to that we will expect the farmers um, to also uh, you know grow diversified uh, crops which uh, which actually will helpful india because we know that punjab one of the northern state as i mentioned earlier the bread basket of india does suffer from groundwater is going down tremendously so uh, because it's uh, it's producing rice which is not its um, which is not its comparative advantage and also that because because of this uh, weather pattern changing what we find is that uh, it burns the rice so that it can sow the wheat quickly, which, which causes air pollution all around it. Um, well, it, it may not be the major contributor, but it still adds to uh, pollution around those other states. So 
you know, given this, we can go away from a vicious cycle that we are set in now to a more virtuous cycle uh, if we have a set of holistic policies. So I think it's time to rethink about how we can use the PDS to uh, to even address not only our climate smart needs uh, but also our um, malnutrition needs and also address high inflation. Uh, I think that is the thing. There's a lot of uh, lot of discussion in India and a lot of policy movement towards even looking at millets. Um, so it's there is already a lot of discussion and I think that needs to be taken forward. The next point that comes to me uh, that your question was about technology. Um, and here I think there are... Uh, I think there is a role for AI technology, but when you think about AI technology, are you thinking in terms of procurement? Are you thinking in terms of distribution? Because they're two different things. I think in procurement, AI technology definitely has a role to play, um, and uh, especially uh, across uh, the farmers. But I think what is especially given that. Uh, we have knowledge about every week this data comes out, how much area has been sold, how much rice is going to grow, so on and so forth. So we have all that, we have all that information. So that that information can be definitely be used to predict whether what our production patterns are going to be. In terms of distribution, um, and by the way, you'd be surprised to know that uh, even in some, uh, there is decentralized procurement also in like West Bengal, Telangana, Punjab. Uh, so it's not all centralized procurement. And even the payments to farmers that is done on procurement is also on direct, um, uh, directly deposited in their bank accounts. I think Punjab was the last one which now has joined the bandwagon. So there is a, there is a lot of innovations that has already taken place in India in terms of procurement. Uh, but of course, there's definitely role for more. And uh, the third, on the other side is the distribution part. I think there already India is very interesting um, because where India has already in, implemented technology in the sense of uh, India has this Aadhaar enabled public distribution systems. Um, a public Aadhaar enabled public distribution systems essentially is that, uh, but in, in it, this is not cash subsidy. This is a in-kind subsidy. That is that if I, Bornali Bhandari, am a beneficiary, I go to the ration shop to get my food ration. I biometrically authenticate myself that I am Bornali Bhandari and then my allocation will be given to me. Of course, I'm not saying implementation is perfect. It is not, but that's how the system works. It has helped to limit leakages uh, or uh, definitely deduplication. Um, uh, ghost beneficiaries have been weeded out. So there is a lot of uh, there. There is a lot of efficiencies that have been improved, and we have enough evidence to show that. Um, and this uh, based on research, my colleagues have done it in CR. Other people have done that. PDS was one of the better schemes that actually reached out to a wider net of people even during the COVID impact. So that was actually one of India's success stories. And based using the and this was still using this Aadhaar enabled public distribution system. Aadhaar is our unique identity that India has, which is biometrically enabled. So India is already doing that. Of course, there are some states which have cash. Uh, but Indian, you might say, why do you have such a complicated system? Why not move to cash? The reason is that um, customer uh, consumers prefer uh, in-kind subsidy. 
And secondly is it's easy. They're familiar with it. That's one thing. It's not just a matter of a habit, but also is that um, sometimes in rural areas, markets may not be nearby. So presence of a ration shop helps them to actually um, have um, have a uh, impact on prices and uh, of course, less, uh, less price gouging and so on and so forth. So this also helps the uh, beneficiaries to uh, improve, uh, to actually manage themselves. Now, the interesting thing that could be that um, AI technologies and ML technologies could be potentially be used to uh, upgrade our below poverty line databases. Now, our databases in most of the states have been made in um, it maybe a lot of years back. Nobody knows the date. We asked them the date. Nobody knew the date. And uh, so those, if they, those need to be updated, AI and ML techniques across databases could be used to update uh, them, especially, and why this, again, bringing it back to the question of environment. I would want to thank you very, very sincerely for the very illustrative insights that you shared with us. And uh, whosoever has listened to this podcast has certainly benefited from the wisdom that you shared. Thank you so much, Dr. Bhandari. Friends, you are listening to the South Asia Chat and to learn more about your work, please visit us at isas.nus.edu.sg. You can also get updates from our social media platforms. We are available on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter. Thank you so much and have a good day, everybody. Thank you.